Amen. It's so good to, to know and to worship and sing the praises of a God who sent His Son to live and to die, and just like He said, would raise th- after three days, ascend into heaven. He rules, He reigns, and He's coming again. And it's His desire and our desire that all nations would praise Him. So, uh, so glad that we can be reminded of that in song. We are in the book of First Peter. You can go ahead and open up your Bible to that book. If you brought one with you, we're going to put it on the screen as well. But in your Bible, the book of First Peter, we've been going in this series that we're calling When Trials Come, and we're kind of doing really a, a three-week mini-series within the series right now. Last week we got introduced to kind of this new section of the letter that First Peter wrote, that Peter wrote to elect exiles. Right, so he's writing this letter to these people. He spent a lot at the beginning of the letter reminding them of who they were. And then last week we got to verses 11 and 12 where he said, In light of who you are and recognizing that you've got a lot of people living around you who don't worship Jesus, you're part of the people that are singing his praises. There's a lot of people that don't worship Jesus and they're living all around you. In light of that, you need to be thinking about how you're living. And he tells them to live a life that is honorable in the sight of all of them. To to abstain from sinful desires as we live amongst them. And to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's what we've been looking at. And now, for the next three weeks, we're going to kind of break down one time each week a few verses where he talks about, okay, again, thinking in light of the fact that we've got people out there who don't worship Jesus. In the end, we want them to glorify God with their lives. How do we get them there? Well, part of it looks like we live in a certain way. We don't live to please them, right? We live to please God alone, but we do recognize that other people are watching us as we live. And so we live in particular ways. And so, One of the ways that we're going to look at for the next three weeks, really, is looking at submission. Sounds like a dirty word to some people, but it's something that's highlighted and lifted up here in this portion of Scripture. And and we have, today we're going to specifically look at how we're supposed to submit to governing authority over us. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. We're going to look at how we ought to respond to human authority. And saying this, that we ought to respond to human authority in a way that's kind of surprising and gets the attention of non-believers around us. We see that we, are, we have sinful desires when it comes to human authority. Would you agree with me? We see it, like if you've got a toddler, you've seen it, right? With kind of like their me-do-it kind of attitude. Right? That, that they're going to do what they want to do, and they don't care what you have to say. Even though maybe as a parent you're their authority, they don't care. And then your kids get a little bit older, and they know what's right or wrong. You've seen that look on their face. They know what's right or wrong, but they just got this urge in them, and they're going to do it anyway. And, and they just do it. Like, it's like it's really fun for them to defy authority. And they get a little bit older, and it might look like you and your teenage child having incessant arguments. Maybe you just don't even have a good relationship anymore because all of a sudden they think maybe they know more than you do. And so we defy authority when we're that age, and when we're adults, we don't grow out of it. We speak disrespectfully about elected officials. We harbor resentful thoughts toward our boss 
at work. We harbor resentful thoughts towards the teachers of our kids or whatever else. It's easy to see that it's very easy for us to respond in sinful ways to human authority. But what we're looking at today, here's the big idea of today. That our submission to human authority is a reflection of our submission to God's authority before the eyes of the watching world. The way in which we choose to respond to authority over us is a reflection to the rest of the world of our desire to submit, first of all, to God's authority. So let's go ahead and look at 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're able to, would you stand as we read God's word? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. This is God's word. It says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father, even just reading that without any explanation, we hear some commands in there that are hard. They go against the grain of of our sinful flesh that just wants to be our own boss. We want to be independent. We don't want to be submissive. We don't want to be subject to governing authorities. We want to do what we want to do because we think we know better. Whether we're kids or adults, that's just our attitude. We confess that before you. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit would come and do a work in us such that our hearts are changed, that our minds are molded, that we would be obedient to you as you call us to be subject to human authority. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So you see in your bulletin, once again, an outline that has uh, some spot for you to take notes this week, or as I preach, and then this week, an application guide. Uh, There's a lot of stuff uh, in here that would... uh, be some very, very helpful practical application as we lead our lives that I put in that application, God, that I won't get to in the sermon. So uh, that's something to maybe guide you in your time uh, throughout the week, whether you're doing it alone or with somebody else. But let's start with the first point. The first point is submit to governing authority or be subject or obey governing authority. Verse 13 just said this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. You're kind of thinking, well, that's really broad. Like every human institution, I need to be subject to that. But he narrows it down when he says, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. Okay? So he's talking specifically about governing authority. And what does it look like to be subject to governing authority? Well, very basically, it means obeying the law. Right? I mean, it's not very complicated um, that we are to obey governing authorities. That when we're, when, it, when we're not supposed to steal, we don't steal. We don't steal. We don't do stuff that's illegal, even if we might not get caught. We're people that pay our taxes. We're people that follow traffic laws. There are speed limits, right? Somebody just got jabbed by, with an elbow, you know, like, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, and we should be that, like, 
we should be subject to governing authorities. It's not our goal to try and skirt around laws, but it's our goal to try and be obedient as we live in the world that we live in. We need governing authorities, right? You might have different opinions on how big government should be or how small government should be, all of that kind of stuff. But the reality is that the world in which we live requires us to have governing authorities. Anarchy would not be good in our society because we're fallen, we're sinful. And it says here that one of the reasons that we need governing authorities, look at it in verse 14, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. We need governing authority because we need evil to be punished and good to be praised. That's one of the functions of governing authority over us. And so we we recognize that. Now, of course, anybody working in a position of governing authority, whether in, in an elected position in our nation, whether in some leadership authority in the world, whether working in law enforcement or a public school or whatever, All of those people have sin issues, just like we do, right? We don't have any perfect people in government. But he doesn't qualify his command to be subject to every human institution by saying, if you voted for them, or if they have the right letter after their name, or if you agree with all their policies. No, it's be subject to governing authorities or to every human authority. People in all sectors of government have sin issues. It's true, but we need to recognize that the vast majority of them are in there making personal sacrifices for our good. They're trying to do what they see as best. And we should, as believers, first of all, be obedient, but we should also be the first people to say thank you. You know that? We should be the first people to say thank you to those who are serving us by governing over us. We should be the first one to send emails to our kids' teachers encouraging them in the work that they do. We should be the first one to send thank you notes to our representatives in government. We should be the ones who more than anybody else respect and honor people serving us in the military and in law enforcement, right? We recognize that the governing authority that God has put in place over us is good. It's for our good. And so we are subject to it. But there's one other phrase in there I want to point out. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake. What does it mean that we're supposed to submit to governing authorities for the Lord's sake? How does that benefit the Lord? Two things, I think. First of all, we live in a culture, and I think Peter's people that he was writing to lived in a culture in which freedom and independence are valued highly. And those can be good things. But we can value those things so highly that we actually think that obedience and submission are bad things. Right? If you ask most people in our culture, you you use the words obedience and submission, they'd think we were being very oppressive by using words like that. Because we value freedom and independence so much that we don't value things like obedience and submission all that much. But among all people living around us, we as Christians understand the value of submission better than anybody else, right? Because we are those, being a Christian means that you have submitted yourself to Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
right? You didn't just need a Savior from sin. You are one who needed to be governed by somebody other than yourself because you weren't doing a very good job. We recognize that. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. It's you looking at your life and saying, you know what? All I've done is mess this up. I need a new master, and he's Jesus, and I'm going to submit to him. Right? So we see as Christians that submission is a good thing. And so we reflect our submission to Jesus as Lord by honoring and submitting to governing and human authority that God puts in place over us. The second thing I think it means when it says for the Lord's sake is that we recognize that if it comes to a point where we have to choose to either be submissive to God or submissive to governing authorities over us, we choose to be submissive to God first, right? We can't submit to governing authorities in a way that causes us to disobey what God calls us to do. So an example. Example would be if if we hear the command from God to go and make disciples of all nations, that requires us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we come to a point where we're living in a place where that is now illegal, we can no longer preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have to choose between obeying the governing authority or obeying our God, we obey God. Because we only obey governing authority for His sake. We're not, he's not going to call us to disobey Him for the sake of obeying governing authority. I love this story in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they've been out preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And they get told to be quiet. And I love their response. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 18. It says, So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Hear that? The governing authorities are saying, Don't you dare speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Listen to their response. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's their answer. Listen, if I've got to choose between obeying governing authority and obeying God, I'm obeying God. I can't help it. I'm speaking about Jesus and what he's done. You're not going to shut me up. I'm talking about that, right? So we submit to governing authorities for the Lord's sake. Let's look at verse 15. Here's a second point. Look at verse 15. Let me ask you this before we look at verse 15, though. It might be your opinion, and you may or may not have expressed this opinion to other people at some point in your life, that there are a lot of ignorant and foolish people living out there, right? Maybe you've said that when you're driving, right, in a city, because we don't know how to drive in city because we live in Iowa Falls, right? And so we go drive in a city, and we think everybody else is crazy, and we're the normal we're probably the crazy ones, right? But, but it's easy for us to think, may, maybe you listen to somebody talking on the news and you hear their viewpoint and you think, wow, where do they live? And, and we look around us and we see, man, there just seems to be so many ignorant and foolish people out there, right? A couple of options. How do you respond to ignorant and foolish people? Option A, buy a t-shirt that looks like this. Buy a t-shirt. Want to show them that t-shirt? Buy a t-shirt that says, I'm with idiots and has arrows pointing both ways. That's one option, right? You, you want to let, like, here's how you deal with foolish and ignorant people. You buy a t-shirt that says, I'm with idiots, and you wear it around, letting everybody else know that you're really smart and enlightened, and they're all a bunch of idiots. We could do that. I think there's a better option, though, okay? I think there's a better option. The better, better option is to obey the Bible, 
Okay? Let's look at verse 15. Check it out. Verse 15. Verse 15 says this. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How do you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people? By wearing I'm with idiot t-shirts? By, by arguing and having heated debates, trying to win a culture war, arguing them into the kingdom? No. What does verse 15 say? This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We read last week that, that as we live among the Gentiles, one of the ways that they who think we're kind of crazy right now, in fact, it said last week that they speak evil of us. They think we're nuts. How do we get them to the point where they glorify God? Well, it said last week that we abstain from sinful desires and we live honorable lives, right? And that's okay. I hope that we do those things, that we recognize where we have sinful desires and we turn away from sin. We abstain from sinful desires, and we live honorable lives. But remember also that it said that we do that among them. We have to be living our lives in our communities, right? If we're living a holy life, abstaining from sinful passions, and we just hang out in our house, and the only time we come out is to go to a church activity, then we're not going to... Now, again, we don't do good in order that we might be recognized by them. Jesus says not to do that. But Jesus also says that we are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And Jesus says we are the salt of the earth. Right? And so we need to figure out ways to be involved in our community. If we're living holy and honorable lives, but non-believers never see us and we don't have any interaction with them, we're not doing them much good. Right? And so we need to be people who sometimes evangelical Christians kind of get this, this stigma attached with them that we're just known for what we're against. We're anti this and we're anti that. We should be known a bit more for what we're for. That we actually care about the good of our community. That, that, that we want to do good as we live among them. That we don't put to silence the ignorance of foolish people by arguing with them about stuff, but we do so by, by doing good. So, how do we go about doing that? I just want to point out a couple things, because it's hard to do that. Um, it's hard for them. Remember, last week we were looking at how they might call us evil, hateful bigots, right? For believing what it is that we believe as Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming, trying to live a holy life Christians. And for doing that, we might be called evil, hateful bigots. But it's harder for them to call us that if we as a church go out of our way to care for people who are weak and vulnerable. We care for people who are broken and grieving and hurting. We care for single parents as they try and do that hard work alone. That we reach out to people that are struggling. It's harder for them to call us evil, hateful bigots if we are doing good in our community. Right? So we need to be about doing good in our community in some way. And it's hard to do when you feel like you don't fit in. When you feel like you don't fit in, some of you, your response more naturally is to go hide out. 
in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was writing uh, in, in the 500s B.C. And what had just happened was God's people were overtaken by the evil Babylonians. And these cruel Babylonians took them captive and brought them into a different land. So they're now living as exiles in Babylon. And if you're trying to be obedient to God and live as one of God's people, Babylon is a tough place to do it, right? And so Jeremiah speaks on behalf of God. God has a word for his people, and it comes through the prophet Jeremiah. And he's going to tell them, here's how you live in a culture that seems to be against everything that you're for and for everything that you're against. You want to know how to live in the middle of that culture? Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, here's what God says. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Do you hear that message? His message is not, go buy a bunch of bottles of water and canned goods and find a bunker to hide out in until this is all over. Because it's going to be 70 years. You might as well get comfortable, as comfortable as you possibly can. And I want you to be involved in the life of that city. Wherever city you're in, seek the welfare of that city. Work for the good of the city that you're in. Whether you feel totally comfortable there or not, and you probably don't. If you're trying to be obedient to God, you're not going to feel totally comfortable in the city, but I want you to seek its welfare. Remember, Peter's writing this letter to people that are elect exiles in Asia Minor. They don't feel at home there either, right? And so his message to them is verse 15. It is, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So what about us? You might feel like the gap between what you believe and what our culture believes is widening. Are you concerned about what seems to be like a moral revolution that's taking place quite quickly in our culture? Are you concerned about that? I am. I'm concerned about that. That concerns me how quickly things are changing. In a spot where we might feel increasingly like outsiders, and like the government who represents us might not be on the same page as us even most of the time. There might even be some who say, I can see persecution out there somewhere on the horizon. Right? How do we respond to that? Well, I think a few things. We vote, we run for office, we write to people in Congress, we share our concerns with others, but we want to be obedient to what the Bible says. We also seek to do good. We don't give up. We don't withdraw. We don't just give up on our culture. We don't, we don't give up. We do good work. We make good art. We, we, we are involved in our culture. Jesus calls us to be salt and light. Jeremiah says, seek the welfare of the place in which you live as exiles. Peter says, silence the ignorance of foolish people, not by winning an argument, but by doing good. That's God's will. That's what we're called to do. Two more verses. Let's look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Earlier in the letter, you remember that Peter had told them that they have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus. They used to be in bondage, and now they've been set free. What were they in bondage to? They were in bondage to their own sin. They were all living as though they were their own master. And that wasn't going well for them. And by God's grace, 
He came and he saved them. Through their faith in Jesus, they're now set free from sin. So he tells them in verse 16, live as free people. And then he's got this reminder, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't go there. But isn't it interesting? Look at verse 16. Do you notice the beginning and the end of the verse? The beginning of the verse is, live as people who are free. And the end of the verse is, living as servants, or maybe your translation says slaves, of God. Okay, so in one sentence, at the beginning, we're told live as free people, and then we're told to live as servants or slaves of God. Huh? Well, which one are we supposed to do? Are we free or are we slaves? We need to recognize, remember, what we're freed from is we're freed from serving our old master, sin, who's a bad master. But we're free, just like we read a few weeks ago, we're set free in order to be holy. We're set free in order that we might become servants of God. That we might have a new master. So we're not free to do whatever we want. That wouldn't be good. That's where we used to be. We used to be free to do whatever we want, we thought. But now we've been freed up so that we can worship God. right? That we can be His servants, His slaves. So again, submitting to God is at the core of what it means to be a Christian. We're people who submit to Jesus. We've already talked about that. I want to go ahead and look at verse 17, because verse 17, we've already talked now about how, as Christians, we submit ourselves, first of all, to Jesus, because He's our Lord and our Master. That's what it means to be a Christian, that you've submitted yourself to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and once you've done that, that's the ground, that's the foundation that allows us to subject ourselves to governing authorities. And we live in the place that we live, that we might do good, right? And then we've got verse 17. Verse 17 is just four commands, very short commands, four of them right in a row. Here's what it says. Verse 17, honor everyone. Honor everyone. When it says everyone, what do you think it means? What do you think, like, if you went back to the Greek, what do you think it means everyone, right? Honor everyone. And you might say, hold on, what about what about, like, people that, that we disagree with a lot, right? Like, people that we just, like, we think they're so far off in what they believe that we just, oh, they just make me mad. They get under my skin. What about those people? What are we supposed to do with those people that we disagree with? Well, honor them, respect them, right? How surprising and attractive would it be if those people who you spent a lot of time engaged in heating heated debates with, like you argue with them, you get mad, like your temper gets flared, you've got veins popping out of your neck, all of that kind of stuff, because you just think they're so wrong, and maybe they're not even, maybe they're like on the TV, right, and you're like, you're arguing with people on the TV, that you're like, you know, whatever, but you're like, you're, you're like, you're mad, what if instead of arguing with them again, what if you surprised them, and how attractive would it be if you were instead to pursue them in love, and, and to go to them and say, you know what? As I've been talking to you about stuff, I've had some pretty arrogant and prideful uh, attitudes in my heart. Will you forgive me of that? That would be pretty surprising to them, maybe attractive, right? What, what What about people who are less than fair with you? You've dealt with them in business or whatever, and maybe it's people you work with, they're just like rude. Like it's something like something's just wrong in their life, and it's like they're just, they've got cutting remarks to make to everyone. And you just, like, everybody just avoids them. 
They either avoid them or they gossip about them. You know that one crabby person, right? And everybody does. Like, what if instead of joining everybody else in gossip, and what if instead of avoiding them, what if we were the people who pursued them in love? That'd be great. That'd be surprising. Be attractive. What if, what if, what if those people who are engaged in all sorts of immorality, stuff that you know is not pleasing to God, and they felt over and over again judged and unwelcomed by Christians, what if you invited them over to your house for a meal? That would be honoring. That would be surprising. We need to honor people. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter how much you disagree. doesn't matter how bitter they are. doesn't matter how immoral they are. All people are people created in the image of God, and we are to honor and respect them because they are people created in the image of God. And by, by going out of our way to love and to serve them, they might even be surprised and attracted to those of us who have submitted ourselves to Jesus as Lord. All right. Honor everyone. The next thing he says is love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. He's talking about Christians loving other Christians. You know that some the reason that some people have just disengaged with the church, they don't even care about Jesus much anymore, a lot of them, it's because they've seen church people not loving other people very good. That's not very attractive. When people in the church who call themselves Christians don't love other people very well, we're supposed to love each other. Jesus told the disciples that in, in John 13, he said, By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That should define us as a church, that we ought to love one another. That's how other people know that we're disciples of Jesus. Not because we believe all the right things. We need to do that as well. But Jesus said one of the ways they're going to know that you're my disciples is that you love one another. And we know that we can only love one another because he loved us first. So in 1 John 4 it says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, then he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, is not, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We need to love each other, church. That's part of the way that the people who are out there, the people who are not believing, who are not praising God, giving glory and honor to Him, one of the ways that they might come to that spot is that we submit ourselves first to the Lord and then to one another. We care enough about each other that we give ourselves up for each other. And then there's a third of the four commands there. And the third command is this, fear God. I think that's the one that everything else hinges on. All of it begins, Proverbs chapter 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We need to have a proper awe and respect of God. Did you know that? I think, I think one of the greatest problems that we have is that we have this problem that our view of God is way too small. You believe that? That, that our view of God, like, we don't have a big enough view. Our view can't get big enough of how loving and how powerful and how merciful and how just God is, how holy God is. That view needs to grow and grow and grow that we might fear God more and more and more. I don't know how you get to that spot where you fear God more. I know how I get there. Part of it comes as I just sing songs that, 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 that praise Him for His glory. Part of it comes as I read Scripture. When I read scripture passages like Psalm 96 that say, 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. As I read passages like Isaiah 66, verse 2, where God says, all these things my hand has made. Right? You fear God by looking outside and seeing all that He has made. I just get amazed at stuff. It's partially because I'm dumb, uh, but, but I don't get how a lot of stuff works. And so, I, like, rather, like, and I'm okay not understanding how everything works. Some of you got like a more mechanical mind. You got, I don't understand how a lot of stuff works, but I'm just amazed by it. I was explaining to my kids the other night, or one of them, um, they were asking something about breathing. Like, why do we need to breathe? Like, well, that's a great question. And I said something about we need oxygen and we don't need carbon dioxide, so we breathe in oxygen and put out carbon dioxide, but then plants, they breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out. I don't even get it. How does God, he, he does it, though. And then things like that just cause me to be in awe of God. That we don't, we're not in awe enough. We just kind of like float through life doing our, like we need to just stop every once in a while. That's why I love coming together at a worship service with the church where we just sing songs and we hear God's word read and we're like, oh, I forgot about that again. How could I forget about how awesome my God is? That as we do that, that changes us and that changes the way we relate to other people. And then there's, oh, so I didn't finish Isaiah 66. It says, all these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one through whom I will look, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God says, look at this, be in awe of all that I've made. By my word, all of this came to be. And the one that I will look to is the one who is humble and contrite in spirit, the one who trembles at my word. We need to fear God more than we do. And then finally, he says, honor the emperor. We've already kind of covered that. Honor the emperor. We need to obey. We need to pray for those in government. I'm just going to close by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2. You can turn there if you want. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Somebody pointed this out uh, a while back. I was like, oh, I never even saw it. I've quoted verses 1 and 2 by themselves. And of course, I've quoted verses 3 and 4 by themselves. But they actually go together because it's 1, 2, 3, 4. It's in order. Okay, look at this. Here's what it says. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. Okay, so you've heard that command before, haven't you? That as Christians, one of the ways that we respond to governing authorities, we pray for them. We pray for those who are in high places. But then, here's the goal. Look at it. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's this connection between God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We know that there's a lot of people that right now aren't saved and don't know the truth. And part of the way in which that happens is that we pray for people who are in high positions so that we can lead a certain kind of life and so that other people might come to be saved. That kind of ties together everything we've been talking about this morning. That as there are governing authorities set over us, set in place by God, according to Romans 13, we have a choice to make. We can choose whether we choose to complain about slander, disrespect, and disengage. That's one option that we have. 
When we look at the governing authority over us, we can be those who complain, slander, disrespect, and disengage, or we can be of the people who choose to obey and respect and honor and pray. Recognizing that as we submit to governing authorities over us, we're making a reflection to a lost world of our submission to Jesus as Lord. It says something. When we are willingly submitting ourselves to those in authority over us, that says something to the world that authority is not bad. I know that I can't govern myself. I can't self-govern. We're not good at that. And so I've given my life over to Jesus, the Master. And for His sake, I've also given myself over to subjecting myself to governing authorities. And as I do that, I'm going to reflect for you what it looks like to submit a life to Jesus in the end, that people might be saved and that He might be glorified. So everything we do, everything we are is for His glory, right? That's why we do what we do. That's why who we are. And God is glorified and people are saved when we proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. It happens with our words. We have to proclaim the gospel, but we also have to live a holy life, abstaining from sinful desires and submitting ourselves to authority that God has put in place. And it happens especially when we as a church are motivated in everything by God's glory. That we're so in awe of who God is that that motivates our obedience. We want to love and serve and submit and forgive. All those things that go so against the grain. We want to do all of that because we are so in awe of the glory of God. We're going to sing a song to close here in just a moment where the words are, let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. That's what we want. We want together our church to be passionate about the name and the glory of King Jesus. And so let's go ahead and pray as the worship team comes up and gets prepared to lead us in that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all of the times that it reminds us to fear you. It reminds us of who you are. We so often forget. And I pray that out of our awe of who you are, out of your gracious work that you've done in us, that you're the one who's called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. We're not any smarter, we're not any better, any holier than anybody else. We're simply sinful people who have been redeemed, who have been brought out of slavery, not by our own will, not by our own goodness, but by the perfect righteousness of Jesus who redeemed us with his blood. And so we respond with great thankfulness. And I pray that you would make more and more the glory of your name be the passion of our church. And that as you do that, that you would be drawing more and more people to yourself. We know that they're hungry. They're thirsty. They don't all know what they're hungry and what they're thirsty for. But we who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we know that you are the one who satisfies. So convince us of that. That by the way that we live and the words that we speak, we might convince others of that for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.